1208, Jeff Wagner. WTMJ, get the headphones on straight. We are live streaming as we do for the first couple segments of every program. We're live streaming. Go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Wearing my summer shirt. I don't think I'm going to have many opportunities to continue to wear the Tommy Bahama shirts because looks like it's going to get cold starting tomorrow. Okay, so Eric Bilstead, before you leave, huh, you think this breakup did not go well? Okay, do you know who Jimmy Garoppolo is? Yes. Right, Jimmy Garoppolo is the former backup quarterback for the Patriots who who was traded to San Francisco. Signed a big deal. $137 million. Mm-hmm. You know, he was going to be the guy that turns around the, Patriot, the, the 49ers. And he's out for the year. Got hurt yeah. on Saturday, you know, tore up his knee. And so he's, he's going to be out for the season. Okay, well, here, here's the interesting follow-up to this. He was believed to be dating a woman named Alexandria King. You're smiling about this. You know the story or no? Well, I know she is a porn star. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. No, Alexandria King, a very attractive young woman, I mean, based on her photos and stuff, but they were they were seen out and about. Um, let's see, they were seen in Valentine's Day, and they were seen you know, going out and about on, on the town, You know, like the New York Post it, it focused on this. He apparently left her. For the porn star. Oh, okay. All okay, right. that was. I'm just. You know. You, you need. You need. Thank to, you for clarifying. Right. Exactly. You know. You. You need to have. You got. You got to buy a scorecard to keep mm-hmm, track of mm-hmm. this. But he apparently um, left her to begin dating Kiera Mia, who is now. That sounds like a porn star name, if I ever heard one. But. But okay. So now Alexandria. Apparently, and then so after this kind of came out, so then he was spotted on uh, on you know going around the town with the, the pornographic film actress, mm-hmm. and then people went back to Alexandria, and they they asked her, and she was of course insulted and embarrassed and stuff like this. Sure, sure. He, for his part, said, "Well, we were never really dating." <laughs> okay, so so now you have this woman who, depending on how you look at it, they were either dating or he left her for this pornographic film actress. So now. He blows out his knee, so he's he's injured himself. He's out for the whole year. They go back to the girlfriend, Alexandria, and they say, "Well, what do you think about you know your ex boyfriend blowing out you know his knee?" And her response, one word, karma. Ah, karma. <laughs> the There's karma. that word again. Ooh, 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 ooh. I don't think that breakup ended. She could have said, "Well, I'm really sorry for him. He's a nice guy. It's just karma." Leave me for, <laughs> leave me for a porn star or porn actress. This is what you get, you miserable so and so. Just saying. So, background to that. Hey, before we get into the show, let me just give me fifteen seconds. Very personal. Um, my brother is also my dearest friend in the world, and uh, today is his birthday. My brother is the nicest guy you could possibly imagine, and I always I like to highlight his birthday because when he intro- when the two of us are introduced to people, he always points out that I am his significantly older brother. Well. He's a year closer to me, at least for a little while. So happy birthday, Scott. I love you very much. All right. We are live streaming Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. You can check that out. Let's get started. With much fanfare, with much fanfare, early voting kicked off in Milwaukee yesterday, and it will continue for nearly six weeks until the Sunday before Election Day. Now, let me review the bidding here quickly under the law. It used to be that before you could vote absentee, what you had to do is you had to sign a certification saying that you were unable to show up on Election Day and vote. Unable. 
the law was changed a number of years ago so that you could vote absentee. You only had to assert that you were either unable or unwilling to show up and vote on November 6th. So it made it a lot easier for people to request absentee ballots. Then what started to happen is you had the influx of in-person um early absentee voting. It's actually, it's, it's in-person absentee voting. That's what essentially you do. You go down to City Hall, you request an absentee ballot, they give it to you, and they don't send it to you, you fill it out, and, and you vote. All right, so that's been the wave that's been going on for a number of years now, um, encouraging people to vote. And by the way, and I've said this on this program before, I don't have a problem with in-person absentee voting. I mean, I guess if it makes it easier for people to vote, I am all in favor of it. But here's where it gets a little bit dicey. State law says that in-person absentee voting has to knock off um, the Sunday before the election. Okay, the law says that. The law, though, doesn't provide a standardized date on when the voting can start. So, for example, under the law, the way I understand it, as soon as the ballots are ready, a municipality can decide that, okay, we're going to open different polling places to allow people to come in and vote. And that is precisely what the city of Milwaukee is doing. Um, Starting again yesterday and continuing for nearly six weeks, um, right now, you have three locations in Milwaukee open for early voting. More polling places will open their doors in mid-October. So if you live in the city of Milwaukee, you don't have to go through requesting an absentee ballot and they send it to you in the mail. You can walk down to any one of a number of polling places and you can start voting as of yesterday. Now, this is a big deal in the city of Milwaukee because you have the Democrat mayor of the city of Milwaukee, Tom Barrett, and you have a number of Democrat office holders who are trying to do everything they can to boost the turnout for Democrats. And they figure, all right, let's open up the polling places. Let's get people to the polls. There are a number of other communities across the state, though, that don't allow early in-person absentee voting for a while yet. And they certainly don't have multiple places open. And the reason is because they either, number one, don't have the resources to allow that to happen, or, or number two, just when they prioritize the things they can spend money on, creating polling places so people can vote That's not the best way to do it. Here is my problem with this. And again, I don't have a problem with early voting, absentee voting. I do have a problem with it not being standardized, though. If you show up at a polling place on Election Day, the state law governs when the polling places open across the state and it governs when they close. You can't open the polls earlier in Eau Claire than you do in Racine, than you do in Milwaukee, than you do in the Fox Valley. There is a standardized thing. Here, when it comes to early absentee voting in person, there is no standardization. Milwaukee opens up this week, the earliest moment I believe they can, and other communities won't for a while, meaning that if you live in Milwaukee, 
you have a much greater opportunity to show up and vote in person than if you do in some community where they don't have the resources or whatever to be open for as long. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, let's be honest about this. The, the decision to open the polls as early as they do and commit as many resources as they do in Milwaukee is twofold. Number one, it's to give people access to the polls. And number two, it is to give Democrats an advantage. I think whatever this is going to be, I think it needs to be standardized. I have always said, look, if it's election day and you've got standard numbers, why is it in the six weeks before the election, some city halls are open to allow you to in-person vote weeks before others, or they're open more hours, or they're open weekends or whatever? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm not against early voting. I'm I'm not. I think it makes it easier for a lot of people. And even though I'm one of those guys who likes to go to the polling place on Election Day and vote, there have been times when I've been busy and I've appreciated the ability to go in and vote early. So I really don't have an issue with that. But should it be standardized? Do people get an unfair advantage, say, in the city of Milwaukee, when the city of Milwaukee opens up six weeks ahead of time and other communities don't. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. And once again, we're live streaming Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. All right. Should this be standardized, whatever it is, namely, all right, if we're going to allow in-person absentee voting six weeks beforehand, should it then be mandatory for all municipal clerks to be open? 414-799-1620, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1218. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, we live stream the first couple segments of the program, facebook.com slash 620-WTMJ. Early voting started yesterday in the city of Milwaukee. They have multiple polling places where you can go and vote if you're a city resident. If you live in other cities across the state, though, you don't have that opportunity. My concern is not with early voting, but with the notion that we don't have standardized polling. I mean, imagine if on Election Day you had one community that was able to open up the polls at 5 in the morning, another was able to open up at 8 in the morning, some could stay open till 6, some could stay open till 8, some could stay open till 10, people would appropriately be screaming bloody murder. Isn't this the same? Mark and Sheboygan. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, I think that regardless of your political leanings, left, right, or if you are in the center, living in a metropolitan city provides you with a... I mean, let's be real here, more polling places, but the infrastructure of a city allows you to vote whenever you want to, whenever you want to, and not that the city is left or right-leaning. Living in a large city may attract some types of left thought and some types of right thought, but regardless of that, I don't believe that either well, well, first, well, wait, wait, well, wait, wait, well, wait, now, let, <clears throat> Mark, let, let's be reasonable. The, the the city of Milwaukee is overwhelmingly Democrat. The the turnout in Milwaukee is probably going to be point. seventy to thirty. Well, I'm, but I mean, but you're trying to say that there's no political advantage to it. Well, th- I mean, that just denies the number. There that, may, there, okay, well, there may or there may not be a political advantage to it, but I don't think that 
that it's a decision of one party or the other. Well, I guess the question, though, becomes, should there be, should it be standardized? Why isn't it standardized? Uh, well, I do think that standardization across a voting system, after working in system solutions my entire life, uh, I do think that the mixed systems that we have for our elections decrease the probability of an election being hacked or skewed or influenced by any one party, whether it be left or right. Well, I guess, I mean, I, I'm not talking about hacking that. I mean, look, I, here, here would be my comment. If you don't think that the, the decision that the city of Milwaukee makes to open up the the in-person absentee voting as early as they possibly can is designed to benefit people like Tammy Baldwin. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, my, my comment would be be sure to duck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt your, yourself. I mean, clearly, I, I understand you, you could come out and say, look, this is what we want to do. We want to increase participation, and I really don't have a problem with that. But But the reality is... By doing it in the city of Milwaukee, there is a conscientious effort. They know that they benefit one side more than the other. And that's that's all well and good. I mean, that's that's fine. I, I get that that's the way it operates. But what about the people in Waukesha, for example, an area that might be overwhelming Republican or Ozaki County or wherever, where they make the decision, they say simply say, look, we don't have the resources to open up three polling places across Ozaki County or across Washington County or across Waukesha County. We, we don't have the resources to staff them for the entire six weeks. Is that fundamentally fair to the voters in those areas that they're going to have less of an opportunity to go in and in-person vote? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Armando in Green Bay. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I think it should be standardized, but I think it should be based on the population of the city or the county. Because you have some counties where you only have 40,000 people, and really we don't have resources to provide that much support and you can get to the polls pretty quick and if i stand in line 15 minutes on election day that's about it now in milwaukee you know you got many more people so i think if you base it on the size of a city well but you also have more polling places in, in milwaukee than you would in in a rural area in a rural area you you might only have a limited number of spots that you could go to vote in, in milwaukee right. you're going to have a lot more polling places right but you still can early vote Mm-hmm. You can still go to the courthouse and, and vote early if you want to, but it doesn't, you know, you're, you're basing it on, um, you, you can't say Milwaukee County compared to Shawano County, um, that it's the same. It's not. I mean, you. Well, let, let's, let me ask you this then. Let's say on, on election day, let's take Shawano County. If, if people in Shawano County have to travel further, to get to their polling place, should we say, all right, well, the folks in, in Shawano County, we should be able to open the polls at 6 o'clock in the morning instead of 7 because they've got to travel further, so we want to allow them to do that. Should they be able to do that? Well, they also have many, there are many places to, to vote up here. It's not like they're traveling more than 7, 8 miles, and mm-hmm. frankly, we're used to it. I travel 5 miles to get to my polling place, mm-hmm. but... 
I know I can go right in, walk in, vote, and get out real quick. So, and and if I have the option, I go to the courthouse and they early vote. Right. Well, so, and, it, and and right. And see, and I have no problem, Armando. I see. I have no problem with you being able to to go to the courthouse and early vote. But I guess the issue becomes, from a fundamental fairness perspective, should you be able should you be able to go to your courthouse and early vote, let's say three weeks before the election, and the courthouse isn't going to be open on weekends and it's only going to be open from nine to five or whatever, or when somebody else in another city or another municipality has the ability, they can go in and they can early vote for six weeks and they can be there for you know however many hours. I, I just the the idea that we don't have standardization of these election practices candidly just just kind of makes me shake my head now that's what the law is right now and i understand there's going to be a huge let's get out the vote because again people like tom barrett believe that if they can turn out a heavy vote in milwaukee for example the city of or to a lesser extent the county of that will benefit their side and it will also have the advantage admittedly of letting more people participate in the process that that's all well and good but does it shaft people outside of those urban areas and i think the answer would be yes 1228 jeff wagner wtmj thanks for participating in our facebook uh, live program we'll be back live streaming more tomorrow and you can go back and you can check it out as well it's up there for well forever actually 1228 jeff wagner wtmj 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The hunt for Brew October continues as the Brewers and Cardinals continue their series from Bush Stadium. Hall of Famer Bob Euchre is on the call. Our coverage starts at 640 this evening. The magic number, again, to make the playoffs is three. Uh, that would be any combination of Brewers wins and Colorado Rocky losses. Also, to host the home wild guard game, and again, the way it works the three division winners, they automatically advance to the division series. The two teams with the next, the next two teams with the top records, they advance to a one game play in series, the wild card game. The Brewers magic number for that is also any combination of three Brewers wins and three St. Louis Cardinals losses. That's why, again, winning last night was so important. Winning tonight or winning tomorrow would be important as well. The other really cool thing is, and you can't stress this enough, you, you want to try to avoid that one game play in game because whether it's at home or away any anything can happen um the brewers right now are a game and a half behind the chicago cubs chicago has played one less game they have two fewer losses but it's interesting because chicago's got three games this week against pittsburgh pittsburgh beat them five to one last night and then they finish with the st louis cardinals The, the games this weekend might really mean something to st louis because they're they're I mean, they'd love to pass the Brewers, right, um, and, and have the home wild card game. But they and the Colorado Rockies, there's only a half game apart. So there's incredible incentive for St. Louis to win. All I'm saying is th- this: it's interesting, and it is possible if Pittsburgh continues to play the Cubs tough and the Cardinals play the Cubs tough, it's possible the Brewers might end up winning the uh, division series, which would be very, very cool. You can hear it all here on WTMJ. Actually, I partially blame the Brewers for why I am exhausted today. So, I mean, last night um, we, we had a meeting with um, actually some of the folks from Fox World Travel. And after that, we came home and I, I started watching the, the Brewers game. There was a rain delay of about a half hour. Bottom line is the thing didn't end until well after 11 o'clock or whatever. Didn't get to bed until midnight had, for reasons that escaped me, I made an appointment. My wife's new car needed an oil change and stuff like that. 
I took it in at 7 in the morning. Why? I made, I said, well, what's first thing in the morning? He said, well, we start at 7. So I, for some reason, I, I said yes. But even so, that would have given me between like midnight and 6. Last night, last night, and we've, we, we bought our house a little, we, the, we bought the house we live in about a year ago, but we've only been in it for six or seven months. So last night, and you'll find this interesting, Gru, about two o'clock in the morning, the dog is going just nuts, barking, 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 wakes me up. I'm trying to figure out what's going on, and I hear this beeping, this loud, shrill chirping. And, you know, it's the middle of the night. I've only been in bed for two hours. I know i got to get up in another two hours, and I'm trying to figure out what it was. And it was one of the smoke detectors, I guess, on the second floor of our you know, side-by-side condo. And, and now it's the smoke detector is hardwired in, but it's got a battery backup, and it's chirping. Now, it took me a little bit of time to figure that out. And then, you know, it's on the ceiling. So now it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm standing on the stepladder trying to take the blanking thing apart to get this thing off to figure out how to, to handle this. Well, anyways. That's why I think I'm a little bit irritable today because it's like, okay, why is it? I mean, I look, I appreciate that you've got the smoke detector. Appreciate that, you know, it's going to save you if you have a fire. Everybody should have them. But why is it that the battery backup, the shrill chirping, why is it that this goes off at 2.15 in the morning as opposed to 2.15 in the afternoon when you could deal with it like a reasonable person? All right. One of the other things I made a point of doing last night in between watching Better Call Saul on AMC and the Brewers game, is I made a point of of watching the entire interview that Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and his wife had on Fox News. I will tell you, um, I, I've seen over the years lots of, of, of amazing things, and I don't necessarily say amazing in, in a good way, but yesterday... That it was just I, I was just shaking my head that we have come to this point in this country where you now have, in, in this case, respected, highly thought of jurists who have to go on television and sit there with their wives and then essentially deny that they are that they were a sexual predator engaged in sexual misconduct 36 years ago. If if you missed this it was in many respects reminiscent on one level uh, of bill and hillary hillary clinton when when bill was running for president the first time back in in the early 90s and you had all these different you know you know women who had come forward and alleged he'd done these various things at that point in time hillary clinton was the i'm going to stand by my my man and this is the right the vast right-wing conspiracy that's out to get us and now we know that most of those allegations against bill clinton were were true this is, of course, a, a different dynamic. But if you didn't see it, I mean, he essentially said that, look, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not withdrawing. I, I'm here to defend my integrity, my lifelong record. He said um, <laughs> it was it was almost surreal because you have a Supreme Court nominee saying that he was he was a virgin when he was in high school. It's almost in the category of too much information, you know, but here you have this guy's 53 years old saying he did not have sexual intercourse or anything close to sexual intercourse in high school or for many years thereafter. He said, I'm not going to be intimidated into withdrawing from the process. He says the coordinated effort to destroy my good name will not drive me out. The vile threats of violence against my family will not drive me out. This last minute character assassination will not succeed. Now, 
he went on to say, the truth is, I've never sexually assaulted anyone in high school or otherwise. And then I thought this was interesting. He says, I am not questioning and have not questioned that perhaps Dr. Ford, that would be the accuser, at some point in her life was sexually assaulted by someone at some place. But what I know is that I've never sexually assaulted anyone. All right. So he and his wife are out there. They are public. They have gone forth in front of the American people, and they've said this just is not true. Now, I understand that there's some people who will never, ever believe him. I think that there's some people who are more inclined to not believe him because they perceive him to be somebody who is pro-life as opposed to being pro-abortion. But nevertheless, that's it. He was out there. He's done the interview. He's completely and totally denied this. Nevertheless, there was a spectacle of having somebody who would be on this nation's highest court having to sit there and essentially say, I didn't have sexual relations with anybody until years after I was out of high school. I did not do this. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage talk and text line. From a personal perspective, from a political perspective, from a perspective of right and wrong, should Brett Kavanaugh withdraw? Is there... Too much water now under the bridge. Is he forever tainted? Even if you can muster 51 or 52 or 53 or 54 votes ultimately to confirm him, will he be be forever weakened? Have these allegations just essentially destroyed his character? And and maybe maybe if you believe he is and it would be attacker, maybe his character deserves to be destroyed. If he's innocent. Well, this is character assassination in the highest degree. But should he step down? Is sometimes sometimes it's just time to cut your losses. Should he stop fighting this for the good of the country, for the good of the Republican Party, for the good of President Trump? Should he just say, "Okay, this is all this is all a load of hooey"? But you know what? I, I've been damaged by this to such an extent that I don't think I can be an effective justice. I want to move on for the good of the country. Should he say that? 1245-414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I hope Judge Kavanaugh stays. I, I hope he doesn't give in to this. Look, I don't know what the truth is, but but the idea that somebody can come forward and say something without any sort of corroboration about something you did 36 years ago, and that in and of itself, again, without any sort of corroboration at all, can disqualify you for an important office, I, I think is troubling. To me, that is not what America is about, and that is not endorsing the rape culture or anything like that. But it is saying that at some point in time, there, there has to be some sort of statute of limitations on claims, unprovable claims of bad behavior. Right? Our text line is exploding as Judge Kavanaugh should definitely stay. We need more people like him to stand what is good and right and true for this country. That's Nicole. George says, no, he shouldn't because everybody Trump puts up, the left will bring about false accusations. And again, for everybody who, who says, well, there's not politics to this, these allegations apparently first came out in, in July. They were kept hidden by Nancy, by uh, by Diane Feinstein, waiting until almost the eve of when there was going to be a committee vote. At that point in time, this then goes public. If you don't think that this was an orchestrated attempt to try to delay this vote, 
Well, again, like I said about something earlier, when you f- make sure you tuck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt yourself. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Tanya in Grafton. Tanya, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think if he backs down, um, he's going to look guilty. And as far as they're going to knock everybody down that Trump puts up, well, then Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? Just every time, just tuck our tail and run? Well, right. That, I don't that, think so. Right. That's it. I mean, and again, I, absent absent some proof, some sort of corroboration that the guy did it. I mean, th- this has got to be. I, I think this has got to be sending a chilling message to any conservative who might aspire to higher office. Hey, be careful. Be careful what you go after because there's going to be somebody out there that might come forward and might make these. Again, I, I, I don't know what the truth is, but I, I do know that at this point in time, this is unprovable. You know, and there's, there's un, an uncorroborated sort of thing which will destroy your life. I felt horrible for this man having to sit on national TV and say, well, you know, I, 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 I didn't lose my virginity until after high school. I mean, can you, can you imagine that we've come to this? No, no. Uh-huh. But Clarence Thomas made it through um, right. similar situation, and I think uh, Kavanaugh can do it too. Yeah, no. Thanks for the call. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. And and I will say, I think this is sort of a double edged sword. There, there's some people out there that are saying that this is going to be a huge boon for the left in these upcoming midterm elections because it's going to mobilize. That the suburban, you know, suburban women in particular, but women in general who are going to be unhappy with the idea that somebody who might be a sexual predator is on the Supreme Court. Well, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think the other thing is this, I, I think, has an opportunity to mobilize Republicans and conservatives, both conservative men and conservative women, who might have been kind of having their heads, you know, a little bit, keeping their heads down because of, of everything going on with Donald Trump, who are sitting there saying, wait, this this just isn't fundamentally right, that you can have somebody who has, by all measures, led an exemplary life, and then at the last minute, because, candidly, he's he's not pro-abortion, you can have somebody that can come forward and you can make, again, unprovable unsubstantiated allegations um, for something that might allegedly have happened 30-some years ago, and it destroys the guy's career. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Brian in Sheboygan Falls. Brian, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my yes, call. Yes, sir. Hey, you know, the left, is, they're the ones that are weaponizing all of this, yep. this politics. And, you know, I'm not going to call them terrorists, but you know what they say, we don't negotiate with terrorists. And I say we don't negotiate. You know, Brett Kavanaugh's got to move forward. we got to get this through. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're just going to be emboldened to, to go further and further with this kind of this kind of stuff. Right, because right, it's okay. Then, it, then it's going to be the next one and the next one and the next one. And, I mean, I actually liked what he said last night about his accuser. He's saying, look, I, I'm, I'm not saying whether or not something happened to her decades ago. I'm just saying... She's wrong if she says it was me, you know, and that, and, and I mean, I think that's the attitude that you, you have to take, you know, and, and, and I think you've got to, you've, you've got to believe him, um, absent, you know, proof to the contrary. And I think that's something that we would all want, whether you're a male or whether you're a female, having to defend your life from one instant, one night, some unprovable allegation from 36 years ago. N- none of us would, would want that, I don't think. Yeah, and I think the Republicans are playing this right. They're not pushing it through. They're they're listening to both sides. Yeah. So 
you know, they're doing it the right way. It's just I know they've, they've got to confirm them. I, I thank you, God. And, and I mean, I, and I agree. I don't, and, you know, I've made this point before. For people who say you need a full-scale FBI investigation, I, I do say give me a break on this because what is an investigation going to show? There's, there, all right, let, let's take, let's take the accuser. Um, you know, she says, all right, I, I, it was, it was him. This is my recollection of this. I didn't tell anybody until 2012. There's, there's no witnesses to this party. We don't know where the party is. Okay. So there's nothing. It's not like somebody comes out and says, well, you know, hey, this happened, you know, three weeks ago and here's the paper trail and we can go look at it. There's nothing to investigate. You have her statements. You have his denial, and I understand that there's some people who are going to believe her regardless, and there's some people who are going to believe him, but an investigation gets you nowhere. I mean, I'm trying to imagine if I'm the FBI agent that gets this on my desk, I say, okay, boss, what what do you want me to do with it? I'll, I'll talk to her. I will talk to her therapist, and yes, she'll say that she said this in 2012 when she was in couples therapy. Um, but there's nobody else, all the people that she's named, she says that she didn't tell them that she didn't report this at, at all. Where do we go from here? And, and the answer is nowhere. I mean, you're never going to ever ultimately get to the bottom of this. But at the same time, can we allow allegations like this from 36 years ago to derail somebody? And again, I, I do think it's interesting if this were a liberal would would this be viewed in the same way? This to me, again, it's the Hail Mary thing. I think it was terrible that Brett Kavanaugh had to go on television with his wife and had to deny this type of stuff. And I do think that, that the hypocrisy is just incredible that a lot of the people who are so anti-Kavanaugh were the same people 20 years ago who were talking about, you know, Hillary Clinton, how, how wonderful she was when she went on the attack. All these women who are making the, these claims against Bill Clinton. In that case, does anybody seriously doubt the claims of, the, in retrospect, the claims that these various women made against Bill Clinton? Is there any doubt that at least something happened between Clinton and these women? I don't think so. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're also, again, monitoring the Bill Cosby sentencing. Once a judge finally decides what to do with Bill Cosby, he's looking at a up to 30 years in prison. He's 81 years old. Um, we'll bring that to you as well. It's 1256. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 109. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so Eric, where do we stand on the bill? Call? They, they don't have cameras in the courtroom, right? Right. They don't have live radio feed in the courtroom no, either. No, so. and this has been going on now. He's been behind closed doors in the courtroom with the judge for more than 15 minutes. So you would anticipate here in the next five to ten to fifteen minutes we will have a sentencing for right, but, but we won't we won't hear we will not there's hear. not a feed so we're not going to be able to hear the judge no. explaining at least firsthand I understand there's people that are in there that'll tell us right but, yes yes so that's it okay well we'll continue to keep you posted on this and um, once there is a verdict we'll bring there's a verdict once there is a, a sentencing we'll bring it to you and we'll we talked about this a little bit yesterday but I think that we will revisit it as well all right this is the this is the last thing that the Green Bay Packers needed. All right, we're, you know, we, we talk about our promotions, go see the green and gold and all those things. Well, you know, they're playing at home this weekend, noon game against the Buffalo Bills. It's not green and gold. They, they are, this, this is the last thing that they need. They are wearing those butt-ugly throwback uniforms against the Buffalo Bills. You know the ones, it's the all-gold helmets 
Navy base uniforms, gold shoulders, gold numbers, tan pants, Navy socks. It's modeled on a look that was ugly in the 1930s, and they they brought it back. Now, my producer Gru says you have one. What you you have one of those jerseys? What'd you do? Lose a bet? I mean, how you you have one? <laughs> Boy, okay, all right. I the last time, all right, the last time the Packers wore those butt ugly jerseys was a game actually my my wife had never been to a game at Lambeau Field so we went to Lambeau Field last November when they played the Baltimore Ravens that was the one that they didn't score they got shut out at home um lost like 24 to nothing through whatever it was it was just it was just it was just appalling and it's where you learned that the last backup quarterback couldn't play quarterback at all but yes they were wearing those throwback uniforms then they are wearing those throwback uniforms again on Sunday. So if you tune in to watch the that's another reason to listen to the game on the radio because you're not going to be exposed to those. Now you might ask, why why do we do this? I mean, why do they do it? Well, it, it's easy. It's why they do everything in the NFL. They want to make money because the bottom line is that the Packers like to sell merchandise. Okay, I, I get it. And the idea is, I, I think, how many Packers sweatshirts can can you have? How many Aaron Rodgers jerseys in either green or white can you you have. So what you do is, if you go back to the 1930s, this gives another opportunity for them to sell stuff to people who might just just can't have their fill of it. Like my producer, who spent good money, apparently, on, on one of those just sort of butt-ugly throwback uniforms. So, again, when you thought it couldn't get any worse for the Green Bay Packers, well, it, it could be, because if you're watching TV and you see the games, you're going to go, what is it? No, they're wearing the throwback jerseys. Um, do we have word, Eric? Are yes, yes. Okay. We now know the sentence for America's dad. Bill Cosby has been sentenced to no less than three years and no more than ten years behind bars for his uh, drugging and molesting of Andrea Constran in 2004. Which is within the range of the sentencing guidelines. Let me explain how <clears throat> how sentencing guidelines work. Cosby was convicted of three counts of sexual assault. Each one carried a maximum penalty of up to 10 years in prison. Theoretically, what the judge could have done is he could have made these counts run what is called consecutive to each other, which is you got to serve the first 10-year term. Then the second 10-year term kicks in, then the third 10-year term kicks in. So theoretically, he was looking at at 30 years in prison. In um, Pennsylvania and in most, if not all states, and the federal government, they in the and federal courts, they have what they are called are sentencing guidelines. In some states, they're mandatory. In other states, they're advisory. But what they do is they tell the judge what what a range should be based on prior record of a defendant based on the seriousness of the crime, based on age, a wide variety of factors. And in this particular case, I think the guideline range was somewhere between one and four years. That would be the recommendation. The judge, I know the prosecutor had recommended five to ten years, I believe. So the the judge... This was a mainstream sort of sentence with regard to the guidelines. And they also said that he is now a sexual predator. Right. So he has that where he has to tell people where he is at all times. His his mugshot will be posted on all those neighborhood sites and all that. Now, they are going to appeal the conviction. So then the question would remain whether or not they, they lock him up right now. 
while they go through that appeal process, we're still trying to determine whether or not he's yeah. taken away or right. if he's going to be able to be free during his appeal. Right. What, what will happen, see, once you're convicted of something, the, the presumption of innocence goes away. I mean, you, you have been found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And in many sort of instances, in a case like this, you will have people whose bail will be revoked when the jury comes back and finds somebody guilty. Again, because whatever entitlement you might have to bail when there's a presumption of innocence, that that disappears after the conviction. In this case, um, it was essentially on house arrest, as I recall, um, and, and on a very large bail. Now that he has been sentenced, well, I guess we'll we'll find out. I, I'm sure what happened is the defense attorneys would make a motion to allow him to be free on bail. Um, when you get it, if he had had a sentence, well, I guess we'll, we'll know in a couple minutes. Uh, my my guess is he was taken away in handcuffs. I mean, if I if I were the judge and I had imposed a sentence of three to ten years, it would be no. You're you're going to go to you're going to go to prison right now. Do we know Eric, or we don't know quite yet? I'm still trying to get that information for okay. you. But the judge has that <clears throat> has that discretion. But again, in a situation like this where somebody is sentenced to prison. Uh, if I were the judge and I had made that decision, I, I would not allow him to be free on bail. Maybe that's what they're arguing about now to try to, to have these different things. But I mean, it is an interesting situation because you have somebody 81 years, years old. And in, in the case, I understand that they found that he's perhaps likely to recommit crimes because that they believe psychologically it's almost impossible to have this conversation. This is Bill Cosby. This is America's dad. This is, hey, 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 it's Fat Albert. But they're, they're making the determination. This guy is a sexual predator who, like you say, Eric, now, you know, when he is out, they're going to have to notify neighbors, you know, any, anywhere he chooses to live. The, the neighbors are going to have to be notified that, that he's there. It's almost an unthinkable sort of situation, but maybe it just underscores that you never really know anybody. But three to 10 years, in the state prison system for somebody who is 81 years old, his attorneys say he is legally blind, not in great health. Theoretically, this could be a life sentence, right? Let's open up the phone lines. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think this sentence is out of line at all. As a matter of fact, if I had been a judge, this would be in the, the general range of sentences that I would have imposed. Uh, you, you have, this was not a one-off sort of situation. He got convicted in this case, but there are 50 or 60 women who, to various degrees, described that this is what Bill Cosby was for decades and decades. And even accounting for the fact that, okay, maybe some of this, some of the allegations and the bad behavior goes back to the 60s, and maybe some of this stuff was consensual, you do get the idea that Bill Cosby was a predator. I don't think you can simply allow him to walk out of a courtroom and simply say probation. Now, at the same time, do you need to put him in prison for 30 years? No, but I think this would have sent all the wrong messages, given the conviction and given the fact that Bill Cosby is not remorseful. There's no question about it. He continues. Now, he didn't testify at his trial. He didn't make any statements, it's my understanding, to the court. He didn't testify in connection with that either. Um, but I, I don't sense a lot of remorse. I think Bill Cosby, in many sense, feels that he is a victim. And, you know, given that lack of remorse, given the seriousness of the crime, I think he had to go to prison for a while. And I think this is a very, very reasonable type of sentence. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And it's unfortunate that somebody who accomplished so many good things, 
and with such a part of so many's life, so many people's lives, ends up in this situation at the age of 81. But my response would be he brought it on himself. All right, is this a reasonable sentence? 414-799-1620. Is it too, now let me ask you the Goldilocks question. Is it too light? Is it too harsh? Is it just about too, is it just about right? 414-799-1620. It's 118. We're back with your calls in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 121, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As we just speculated, Bill Cosby has also had his bail revoked. Um, the judge determining that he's a danger to the community. And so, um, he is, if he hasn't been already, he is in the process of being handcuffed, and he will be taken directly to jail. He will not pass go. He will not collect $200 um, to serve no less than three years in a state facility. I'm not familiar enough with Pennsylvania law to know what what that means, because um, a lot of times three years doesn't really mean three years. You might be eligible for time off for good behavior, and you might um, be in a situation where you're eligible for parole earlier than that. I, I, I don't know if it means actually three years, but it does mean that tonight Bill Cosby is going to be behind bars. Not the way I think many of us would have envisioned Bill Cosby's life Ending four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. All right, he's eighty one years old. He has significant health issues. The conduct he was convicted of was back in two thousand four, and of course, there's there's dozens and dozens over I think sixty women who allege similar sort of of treatment, but. Um, he wasn't convicted of any of that, and much of that is from decades ago. All right, is this too harsh, or was it just about right? I, I actually think it was just about right. John in Illinois. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, my personal feeling is lock him up. I don't care if he's in poor health. I don't care if he's blind. Lock him up. Um, I mean, I know the Nazis did infinitely worse stuff, but Israel still hunts any Nazis that are alive, and they bring them to justice. So, um, lock him up forever. Well, I mean, th- thanks for call. I mean, I mean, here here is the problem that that you have. If the judge were to have simply said, "All right, I'm I'm going to put you on probation or house arrest or whatever," what message does that say? Especially given the fact that there were all the, what lawyers would call this other acts evidence. The fact that this this wasn't a one off sort of thing. There was a pattern and a practice of this type of conduct. I mean, the truth is, Bill, Bill Cosby in private was apparently a much different guy than the you know Cliff Huxtable, Bill Cosby in, in public sort of situation. And if you would have said, all right, here, um, I, I'm going to be sympathetic because of all your philanthropic work and the fact that you're 81 years old and I'm going to put you on probation, what sort of message does that send when the next guy gets convicted of uh, again, drugging and sexually assaulting a woman because you know there's going to be a next guy. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Vincent on the northwest side. Hi, Vincent. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. You what? know, as, as, being a man of in my sixties, I grew up with Bill Cosby, right? And uh, with all his as various ventures and stuff like that. But my point is, whether you're eighteen or eighty, or you're famous or not famous, if you decide to drug drug someone and and and, and sexually assault them, you need to go to jail. Yeah. And and so uh, so so that's his punishment uh, for all the things that he's done, all the pain that he's caused. And so uh, yeah, it, it was a correct sentence for, for mm-hmm. this particular issue. But the fact is, if, if it it, it for all those ladies who, uh, who who had to go through this in the past. Yeah. 
I don't know if this if this will satisfy them, but the fact is is that uh, he needs to, he, he should have more. He should be in there. He, he should have longer sentence than he has now. But mm-hmm. it satisfied me for this one incident that he was in. Um, if if he dies in prison, you okay with that? Well, if he dies in prison, uh, that that's that's the uh, uh, karma he put on himself. Yeah. Uh, you know, nobody else put him in jail but but Bill Cosby. Yeah. So uh, you know, uh, but the fact is, he 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 he, he, he drugged a woman. He drugged a woman and sexually assaulted her. So she yeah. has to live for that for the rest of her life. Right. And she's. I mean, thanks. God. And and she's not alone. I mean, there, there there's no question. This is. I mean, you know, I, I, this is not the Kavanaugh situation we were talking about in the last hour. I mean, this is. It's one of the reasons I say that when when you see at least some of these allegations of someone being a sexual predator. It, it's typically, not always, but it's typically not a one-off type of thing. It, it's typically there's a pattern um, that goes into this. All right, we'll take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Did the judge get it right in the Bill Crosby case? Stick around. No matter how modern your family might be, if you're pedaling around bedrock in a gas engine vehicle, you're living in the past. The era of the electric vehicle has arrived. With instant acceleration, electric cars are more fun to drive and more affordable than ever. Electric cars are here. Plug in to the present. Learn more at plugintothepresent.com. Sponsored by Volkswagen Group of America. It's time for the Yellow Tag sales event at your local BRP dealer, where you can save big on new Can-Am off-road vehicles. Can-Am vehicles were made to perform and make the most out of any challenge. And right now, quality costs less, because you can save up to $2,000 on select Can-Am vehicles. Just stop by your local BRP dealer right now before the Yellow Tag sales event is gone. Offer ends September 30th, 2018. Certain conditions may apply. See dealer for details. It's 139, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, normally, you go, you go to high school. If you're going to go to a public high school, you go to the high school that is in the school district where your, your parents or your guardians live. Now, I, I understand that, um, for example, in Milwaukee, you've got the, the 220 program, you've got transfer programs that gives a little bit of flexibility. But essentially, you, you go to school where you know, where your parents live, right? That That's that's how it, it works. Well, this, this premise is now being put to the test, and the WIAA, the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association, they, they've, got, they've got quite a controversy on their hands. Again, normally what happens is if you, if you play sports and your parents or your guardian transfers it dad gets transferred so dad's got to move let's say dad has got a job in green bay all right and and you're playing high school sports in green bay and dad gets transferred or gets a better job or whatever and moves to milwaukee all right well that's fine the family moves along with him and then you know you let's say there's you and your brother you now go you you live in I, I, I don't know, you you live in Ozaki County and it's a feeder for Homestead High School. Okay, well dad has moved from dad has moved from Green Bay to Mequon. You go to Homestead High School. All right, that that's it. So you enroll at Homestead and you can play sports at Homestead. That's that is typically how this works. The question becomes what happens if if the moves by the parents are nothing but I'm gonna use the word sham moves 
to try to get the kids into better athletic schools. Here, here's the story. There, there's a there's a guy named Jalen Johnson, who is a former Sun Prairie basketball star. The kid is a junior. He's a top ten national recruit. He's got offers from about 20 colleges to play basketball, including Wisconsin, Marquette, Duke, UCLA, Florida, LSU, and Arizona. Last year, he averaged 18.5 points, almost 10 rebounds a game. He helped Sun Prairie go 25-2 and and earn their first state tournament trip. All right, July 29th, the young man, six foot eight inch Jalen Johnson, he announced that he and his younger brother were transferring to Nicolay High School, my alma mater, in, in Glendale. And they are going to be allowed to play right away because the WIAA rules say that as long as the family plans to move to the Nicolay School District, okay, well, it's 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 no problem. I mean, dad, dad and mom are moving or guardians are moving or whatever. You, you expect the kids to move with them. So he and his brother, they're, they're leaving Sun Prairie. They're going to play at Nicolay. So you might say to me, okay, Jeff, well, what, what's the problem here? Well, the, the, the two Johnson kids aren't the only newcomers to the Nicolay program. There's a guy named Jarrett Henderson. He's a six foot eight senior. He transferred from Sheboygan South to Nicolay last year before the start of his junior season, again, following a, a family move. And then there's a six foot five forward. His name is Desmond Polk. He plans to transfer from New Berlin West. He planned to transfer from New Berlin West to Nicolet for this his junior season. But the WIAA said, no, we're, we're not going to give you immediate eligibility because. <clears throat> so they said, what you'd have to do is you'd have to sit out for a year because they they <clears throat> didn't believe that this is a legitimate sort of family move. So he said, fine, okay, I'm not going to play basketball in Wisconsin anymore. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, um, I'm going to go to this high school in LaPorte, Indiana, which is like a basketball factory. All right. So what's the common denominator between these different athletes? Well, it's that they all played together during this summer amateur athletic union season. They're all part of this Phenom University 16 and younger club program. So all these really, really good basketball players are, uh, again, they're, they're, they play together during the summer. They play together non-season on, uh, again, a, an AAU club team. And so apparently what's going on here is that they play together. They've got bright futures and they want to continue to play together. So the, the parents whether you live in Sun Prairie or whether you live in Sheboygan or whatever, it's like they're all saying, okay, let's move into the Glendale Nicolay School District so the kids can continue to play together. So the Nicolay basketball team becomes essentially a version of this really, really good AAU club team. Under the current rules, as long as parents are willing to relocate to make this happen, it's okay. It, it, it's okay as long as the parents move. So the problem now is 
you have these what they call super teams that are starting to be created by the parents moving simply to get the kids into the schools so they can play together. And the WIA has two concerns. Number one, how does this affect competitive balance? Okay, so all of a sudden you've got the very best players in the state who are now all moving. The parents are moving into the Nicolay district so the kids can play together. How does that affect the competitive balance with other teams? And what does that say to all the kids who grew up in the Nicolay system, who wanted to play basketball, and now there's not a space on the team because they're getting squeezed out by the the superstars that are moving into the area. So one of the things that the WIAA is doing is they're they're looking at saying that if there's a pre-existing athletic relationship, in other words, you're, you're a kid, you're playing in Sun Prairie, but you've got a relationship with a coach or with other players on on the team, um, if you transfer, you got to sit out for a year. And they're doing that to discourage the creation of these, again, super teams. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I find this to be fascinating, and I'm, I'm very curious as to how you feel about this. Clearly, you, you've got these really good basketball players who play together on the club level, and they want to keep playing together in high school to the extent, to, and it's so significant, you've got parents who are willing to relocate so they can all get together and play together. And that's clearly what's going on here. They're trying to form the super team, but the parents are moving into the school districts. Should the kids have to sit out for a year if there is this pre-existing relationship? In other words, they, they're they're transferring to play with other kids that they've played with before. Or is this one where, hey, it, it doesn't matter if the parents are willing to move why should we tell the kids that they have to be penalized by sitting out a year? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Do we need a rule to stop this, or should we just let it happen? Is there anything wrong with creating some of these these super teams? And if the kids decide they want to all play together and they want to play at Nicolet and the parents are willing to move, um, should we care? 414-799-1620. Let me take a quick break, then we're going to be back to discuss, does the WIA need to intervene? I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll talk about it. If you're on the line, please hold on. 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 151, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Joe in Appleton. Joe, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. What do you think? Okay, should the WIA stop this? Parents moving into school districts to kind of form a, a super team of basketball players? Absolutely, they need to intervene in this. The WIA and public school institutions are not designed to be the developmental league for the NBA, and doing this just completely disrupts the whole process. And also, as you mentioned earlier, the kids that have already done their due diligence to stay in that district, right. don't they deserve their fair chance as well? Right, so you think it's unfair to them. Oh, but let me ask you the flip side of this, though, Joe. Let let us say that um, I live. I don't mean I don't mean to pick on MPS, but I'll, let let's say I live in Milwaukee, and um, I've got a kid who's really really smart, not athletically gifted, but really really smart, and I want to enhance his college opportunities. So I say, you know what? I, we're gonna we're gonna move to Mequon because I want my kid going to Homestead. 
instead of going to whatever MPS school would be, because I think he's got a better chance to get college scholarships or, or whatever. Should I not be able to do that to take advantage of a better academic situation? Most definitely you should, because that's what schools are about, for one, is academics. For two, you're getting your, your child out of a failing situation, which is the MPS. Okay, well, let, okay, well, but let's say, all right, but let, let's say I'm making the, well, I, but I, I'm making the move because, let, let's even take MPS out of the equation. I, I, I want to, I want to get my kid in the best academic school possible because I think it's going to enhance his college possibilities. I, that's okay. If, if that's okay, why isn't it okay to do it for a basketball situation? Because schools are made for academics, not Okay. That's why. All right. Good enough. Th- thanks for calling. I mean, see, this is where I'm. This is where I'm wrestling with it. I, I mean, I, I don't like the sound of, of again, kind of gaming the system, which is what appears to be going on. Now, gaming the system. We're going to have these moves so we can turn this into a super team. Because, like I said earlier, I, I don't think that's fair to the, the kids that have stayed in the school's district and now they're they're get, getting pushed out because they're not good enough. Um, I, I also think that there is a value to competitive balance. But I, I will say this. I I have trouble with this rule, and I have trouble with how you in, enforce the rule and how you figure out what the intent would be. And, again, I, I go back to this basic premise. If, if I, I've got a really, really smart kid and I want him to get college scholarships and I think they've got a better chance of getting a, a – of getting, I've got a, a kid who's a whiz in chemistry, and I think he's got a better chance of getting a college scholarship if he goes to, and I, I say Homestead, but, but pick, you know, pick any school, and I, I decide I'm going to move into that school district so my kid can go to Homestead. I, should I be told not to do that? If, if I'm doing it because I think he's got a better chance to achieve academically, is that any different than saying, okay, we're going to move to Nicolet and, and create this super team? Jill in Milwaukee. Jill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Uh, Hi, Jill. Yeah, I'm opposed to the WA adding any more rules. They've got so many rules already. And like you said, how are they going to enforce this one? And if a kid decides to transfer, I coach athletics at this age, and uh, suppose a kid wants to transfer to a different school for academics and maybe to a worse athletic team, are they going to step in and say they can't do that as well? Right, or that, or that the kid has to sit out for a year, so you end up costing them a, a year of eligibility. To me, that would be kind of like, okay, well, if you're, if, if you went to some chemistry conference and, and you met all these people who go to, again, Homestead for the sake of argument, and, and you know, you, you love that chemistry program, well, here, you know, dad's going to buy a place in Mequon or whatever, we're going to transfer you there, but then you're not going to be allowed to take chemistry classes for a year? That doesn't seem to me to be right. All right, and athletics are always singled out in these areas where there's kids that transfer for all kinds of reasons. Right. And, and it's never, it's never they don't stop the right. band person from transferring or the, like I said, the chemistry students. Right. It's always athletics that's focused on. Yeah, thanks for calling. And again, I, I, look, I'm uncomfortable by this. And, and one of the things that I, I, I don't understand, a couple of people have been making the point, I, I'm not exactly sure. For, for some of these basketball players, They've all read, like the, the kid from Sun Prairie, he, he's got college, he's a junior, he's got college scholarship offers, you know, you know, out the kazoo. So, I mean, it, it's not like he's going to get more offers already. I mean, he's already, he could go to Duke if he wants to play ball at Duke or North Carolina or whatever. He can go pretty much anywhere he wants, whether he plays in Sun Prairie or Nicolet. I, I assume maybe this is he wants to play with his buddies who play on the same AAU team. 
Uh, I just I think the WIA has got to be really, really careful here. Now, they have every right to make sure it's not a sham transfer, to make sure that the parents really have moved. But if the parents are willing to move to facilitate this, I, I don't know that the child should be punished. Matter of fact, I, I don't think the child should be punished. It's 156. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So when I'm putting together the show, I, I, I look, I got a lot of typical sources I go to. Some of the stories come from you, the people who listen to the program who send it in. And others come from, uh, well, I mean, different places that I've started going to. There is a, there's a website. It's called the Washington County Insider. It's run by Judy Steffes and, and Judy, I, I've worked with her at a couple different radio stations and now, and she, she, she focuses on stuff in, in Washington County. And she's actually, in my opinion, does a very good job of, of bringing stories and some of which are interesting in a broader picture. And, and here, here's one. And it's a story that, that she has essentially broken. There is a, there, there's a woman. She's a mom, and I think she's got a kid that goes to Badger Middle School. Badger Middle School is a 7th and 8th grade kids, and the school is in downtown West Bend. Here is a, a portion of a, of a letter to the editor she sent to this website, the Washington County Advisor. And again, this is an insider, and this is the mom. It has come to my attention that kids in Badger Middle School are using their smartphones to look at pornography during lunchtime in the school cafeteria, then showing other kids and laughing. I have approached the school board three times in the last two months to have this addressed. They have not denied it is occurring, and to my knowledge, there has been no plan or policy enacted to take care of this. I do plan to meet with the new superintendent, but there seems to be no urgency on the part of the school board or the administration to protect our kids. And she goes on to talk about, you know, sex trafficking and pornography and things like that. She continues, Frankly, I would not feel it a safe environment for my children as long as this continues. Once porn is viewed, it cannot be unseen. This is not good for future marriages of your children. I would not want my daughter married to someone who is addicted to porn, would you? These are inappropriate and immoral behaviors, begin as kids, and often continue. We do not allow food fights or other bad behavior in the cafeteria. Why is this given a pass? Now, let me just stop there. She raises an interesting point, because regardless of how you feel about the effect of pornography on young minds, I think it is fair to say, now, Gru, you can maybe back me up on this, but it is fair to say that 7th and 8th grade kids sitting around a, a lunchroom should probably not be accessing pornographic websites on their smartphones and showing it. I mean, I, I, I understand we disagree about a lot of stuff. But is this one that maybe as a common, we can find common ground and say, that's yeah, probably not a, a good thing. Um, the lady continues her, her op-ed piece. I hope you find this as serious as I and many parents, grandparents, and community members do, and take the time to do what is in your power and right to protect the kids who attend schools in the West Bend School District. I will continue to address this until it has been resolved. Interestingly, I did find several school districts that do not allow cell phones in school. Making a policy change like that through only one intervention would move us in the right direction. All right, so then we go to the, the West Bend police chief, who is <clears throat> a guy named Ken Muller, who's a very good guy. I, I know him. He had experience in Milwaukee before going to West Bend. He's a really good guy. And he's now confirming that one child was arrested in the West Bend School District in connection with an issue involving pornography. 
He says, we have had one complaint that was brought forward to us, and we took a kid into custody. If there are others and somebody has evidence, they need to report this to us. That was on February 7th, and it was at um, Badger Middle School involving a 15-year-old boy, and he had possession of obscene material, and he was exposing other children to it. Now, this lady says this is continuing to go on. The police chief also kind of take a shot at the superintendent saying, hey, you know, if this woman was voicing these concerns in school board meetings like she says she was, you know, maybe maybe somebody should have called us <laughs> and said, hey, you might want to look at this because if you've got kids that, are, again, are exposing other kids to pornography in the middle school, maybe that is something that the police should, in fact, be involved in. So this is the controversy out in West Bend right now. But apparently this is something that either has happened in the past, and the police chief confirms at least one kid arrested for this, or it is something that continues to occur. And the mom is saying, hey, this has been going on, and you know it's happened just a couple times in the last couple months. I think one of the interesting aspects of it is, is the thing that she raises at the end of, of her op-ed piece, where she says, Several school districts do not allow cell phones in school. Maybe this is something that we could do. All right, our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of cell phones, okay? Cell phones have revolutionized my business. Cell phones have made most of our lives easier. Because, you know, we have that instant communication. It's no longer a deal where if you wonder where your wife is or what time your spouse is coming home for dinner, you know, you you can make that call. You can get in touch with them. It is revolutionized the way we, you know, work um, because now you're, you're constantly accessible. But together with all those advantages come some problems, including, for example, you know, most smartphones, access to the Internet, and apparently... You have at this one particular middle school, but my guess is this isn't the only middle school where this is going on. You've got a bunch of kids who have their smartphones and they're sitting around and they're using the internet not to try to, you know, figure out, you know, how you solve this particular calculus problem, but they're using it to view pornography. And it's apparently been going on. So this, this raises to me the larger issue that I still think we need to grapple with, which is, do we need cell phones in schools, and particularly elementary schools at, and middle schools? I mean, I guess that would be my, my starting point. I mean, maybe arguably high school is, is perhaps a different breed of cat where you, you've got, I don't know, kids that are going after school and working at jobs and things like this. But, but is this an indicator of maybe why cell phones should not be allowed in schools. Or if they're allowed in schools, the rule has to be no cell phones out. You get to school in the morning, you put your cell phone in your locker, and it stays in your locker till the school day ends. Is that unreasonable? And would that solve a problem like this? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do middle school kids really need to have cell phones with them in school? And again, it's a balancing test. I, I understand that because cell phones are a convenience. But here you have at least, if you believe these reports, you have at least one school where the, the cell phones are, are being abused. They're, 
because I don't think anybody would argue that, gee, you need to have your cell phone so you can download porn and show it to different people at lunch hour in the 7th and 8th grade lunchroom. Should we simply say no cell phones in schools, or if you're going to have cell phones, you're not allowed to have them on your person during the school day? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Candidly, I would be inclined to go that route, particularly at elementary schools and at middle schools. What do you think? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 216. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's a text. When I was in college, the professors always said you can have your cell phones, but I don't want to see them. So if college kids can't have a cell phone in class, I don't see why 7th and 8th graders would need a cell phone in class either. Derek in West Alice, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. What do you think? All right. So I completely agree with the lady that, you know, the minor shouldn't be looking at uh, that type of content while right. school grounds. But uh, there has been, uh, I, would say, I would call it an experiment, where the school is able to go ahead and, and restrict the cell phone signals, set up Wi-Fi routers, and have the students connect to the Wi-Fi so that they can completely control what content they're able to reach. Why does a seventh grader need a cell phone in school? Uh, in top of emergencies, I know this can go on to different things, but uh, when... When things happen, uh, for example, you know, on Twitter and on Facebook, you're able to actually get news faster through that than waiting for the news to come out. Okay, let me, let me ask you. And I still, what, why, why does a seventh grader need? Why, why does a seventh grader need a a phone, a cell phone in school? I mean, what what sort of do you, do you really want them going on Twitter during the school day? No. No, but, you know, I'm saying, like, for for example, if there's an emergency on schools, let's say, you know, God forbid, a school shooting is happening, uh, somebody uh, entered the school uh, premises and started shooting up kids. Now, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is not going to come out in news immediately because they're going to want, you know, to kind of keep it on the down low as soon as, as much as they can. But the kid or the student um, is able to go ahead and contact his parents and let them know, you know, hey, this is going on. I'm safe. Um, this is where I'm at. Okay. Well, I guess. I mean, I, I guess. I mean, see, I guess. Here's the thing. You, we can always, in the abstract, you know, come up with these extreme sort of situations. But, but the truth of the matter is, thankfully, that is the the extreme situation. That is the outlier. The the one in a twenty million chance that there's going to be an incident at the school and the kid's going to need the cell phone to, to call the parents. I, I think, you know, by and large, and I, I just, I don't think seventh and eighth graders need cell phones, certainly in the school during the school day. I mean, if, if, if the idea is, you know, there, there's an emergency situation from home. Well, okay. I, I don't want mom calling the kid in the middle of the class. Mom calls the, the school. Mom calls the principal. Mom calls the office, and the office goes tracks down the kid. I don't want the kids on on Twitter or on Facebook, and especially at the seventh and eighth grade level. Maybe high school is a different dynamic. Maybe, but I, I just I don't understand why a seventh or eighth grader during the school day needs it. Now, for that situation where maybe there's the emergency. Okay, well, if you want to allow cell phones on campus, the cell phones have to be in the lockers. But but that's that's as far as it goes. I mean, I just I'm, I'm sorry, maybe I'm old fashioned here, but I just don't think seventh or eighth graders need to have, or sixth graders need to have cell phones 
with them during the school day because this is the thing that it it leads to. I mean, here's a text. Uh, let's see, Jeff. I taught at the high school level for many years. Despite clearly spelled out rules to parents and students, the rules prohibiting cell phone use during our school day were constantly violated. Students are addicted to them and cannot seem to survive in their mind without texting. But guess who they were texting or responding to during class much of the time? Their moms. And when discipline was handed out, there were just as many parents who went absolutely crazy and got mad at the administration instead of their child. This is, in fact, a a big case, um, a big situation. Here's another text. Teachers can have a, a, a phone in an emergency. I'm with you. I don't see why 7th and 8th graders would need a cell phone in class Either. See, I guess that's it. Here's another text from Jeff. A former, as a former teacher, I think there at least should be no phones in the classroom. They are very disruptive and distracting. They are also used to cheat and even enable dangerous activities. Um, unfortunately, many schools have let it come to a point where the students actually feel entitled to have cell phones in school. And that's kind of what you're seeing, I think, happen at this middle school in West Bend. You've got the kids who are allowed to have cell phones, and they're... They are doing, uh, the police chief said they arrested a 15-year-old. They, they are oh, 15 years old in eighth grade. Huh. But anyways, they're 15-year-old. They're, they're, they've got access to the phones. They're, they're using it to download pornography. They're showing it to people. Look, they shouldn't be doing it. And whether, regardless of whether you think they should be arrested or not, by allowing the cell phones into the school, you make it easier for this type of thing to happen and i again i understand maybe in high schools you can make a different argument because kids are working after school or things like that even in that situation i would clearly ban cell phones in the classroom i can't imagine being a teacher and you're up there trying to teach algebra or whatever and you've got half the kids that are on their cell phones and they're texting each other or they're doing whatever it's just to me it is inconsistent with learning but Maybe you can make more of an argument why they belong in high schools, if not in the classrooms. But I'm sorry, I don't understand why 6th and 7th graders need them. And maybe you can come up again with the, the end-of-the-world scenario, and wouldn't it be nice if they had a cell phone? But but that's not consistent with what goes on day-to-day. And if the administrators – and by the way, I don't – I, the, the teachers, I don't want to put them in a situation where they have to be walking by and trying to supervise everything, every site that some kid has downloaded at lunch. I don't think that's reasonable either. Just say you can't have them and then move on. The issue takes care of itself. 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Craig Hendrick or Tim Maste or Max McGee, who's the best punter in Packers history? Make your vote in this week's position battle for the Green Bay 100 all-time 53-man Packers roster. Text 100 to 414-799-1620 for a link to vote. It is the silly season. We're about six weeks away from the, the election. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about the, the Tammy Baldwin-Lea Vukmir race and, of course, you know, Governor Walker being challenged by Tony Evers. But there's another race on the ballot, Attorney General Brad Schimmel, who's been a guest on this program on multiple occasions. He's being challenged by a guy with Actually, very, very little prosecutive experience named Jonathan Call. And, and, and it's getting to the point where it's just, it's the silly season. And of course, you have 
the local newspaper that is willing to guppy on any sort of ridiculous claim that is made against a Republican by a Democrat. Headline in the story I'm looking at, written by Patrick Marley, Brad Schimmel did not seek jail time for 17-year-olds who assaulted younger teens in the early 2000s. Now, without going into detail, but Brad Schimmel, who I have known for decades, Brad Schimmel was an assistant district attorney in Waukesha for a long time, and then he was the district attorney in Waukesha County, and then he was was elected to the job of attorney general. I think he's done a very, very good job as attorney general. So this kind of shows you the desperation of the anti-Schimmel forces, because now they're digging up a couple of cases that go back to 2003. This is 15 years ago when Schimmel was in the district attorney's office. He prosecuted one kid for attacking two 15-year-olds and um, another, and he charged the, the guy with five felonies and misdemeanors. Then they let the guy plead guilty to a second-degree sexual assault of a child. Judge gave him a year in jail and 15 years of probation. Apparently, the sentence was okay with the, the victims. They worked this whole thing out, and, and now he's being criticized for this. It is nothing short of pathetic, pathetic, to try to go back and say, all right, we're going to look at you as a prosecutor handled, I don't know, in any given year in the district attorney's office in Waukesha County, probably couple hundred cases, that might even be, be light. And we're going to try to cherry pick through these, and we're going to try to find ones where we think we can create an issue out of a particular sentencing. Uh, again, a disposition 15 years ago that was fine with the judge, that was fine with the victims. Nobody had any issue about it, but we're going to try to use it against you in 2018. Like I say, when you see these type of headlines, and of course you've got a local newspaper who will write these headlines and run these stories because of Well, the local newspaper, I think, has a vested interest in seeing some people get elected and other people don't. And they're willing to pretty much run any sort of thing that gets spoon-fed to them. But Brad Schimmel is a pretty good guy. You talk to anybody in law enforcement who has any knowledge at all, and they'll tell you he was an aggressive prosecutor when he was in the DA's office and that he's been a pretty darn good attorney general. All right. Hillary, I, I said in the tease, I said, she's back. Greg Matzik and Melissa Barkley were both in here simultaneously. You know what they said, Gru? Stormy Daniels. Exactly. They said Stormy Daniels. No, no, no. The porn star is not on my – I don't know if she's back. She's never gone away. I mean, the, her her sort of scummy attorney, he's now – you knew – you knew that he could not allow the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation to play out without trying to figure out some way to get involved in it. And he's been the one saying, well, I've got a third woman who now says this and, you know, she hasn't said anything, but now she's going to come forward as well. So, you know, that's her lawyer. No, no, Stormy Daniels, the sooner she kind of fades away from the, the mainstream media, the better it'll be. No, Hillary Clinton is back. Hillary Clinton, of course, hasn't gotten over the fact that she lost the presidential election to Donald Trump. And and I'm sure it's particularly galling to her because she didn't see it coming at all, not that anybody else did. She was convinced in November of 2016 that she was going to be the next president of the United States. And I'm sure that that was, I mean, I know, look, that's her lifetime dream. And thinking you're so close to it and then having it kind of snatched away has got to hurt. Plus, I I understand having it taken away by, by Donald Trump, who you think is just... You know, a deplorable himself, that, that's that got to be even harder. But she's been going around, and, you know, she's, 
I, I don't think she's laying the groundwork for another comeback. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But she's clearly unhappy with the results, and she she hasn't really accepted that. So, you know, what, what she's doing is she's now back on, on Twitter, uh, again, taking on President Trump. But in addition to, to this, she is saying that once and for all, it's time to abolish the Electoral College. Now, she has been saying that since 2000, when her buddy Al Gore lost to George Bush. So she has been consistent. But she's been saying, look, it's time. Skip this. Skip this. This Electoral College stuff. Let us stop having to fool around with campaigning in those flyover states. Who wants to have to go to Wisconsin and compete for Wisconsin's 10 electoral votes? Who wants to go to Iowa? Who wants to go to Indiana? Who wants to go to those places? We should just have a national popular vote, and then we can concentrate our efforts in some of the big states that are heavily Democratic. We can go to California. We can go to um, New York, and we can amass huge vote totals. We don't need to pay attention to the center of the country. That's this electoral college stuff. That makes us, we got to go to Pennsylvania, for goodness sakes, and we got to pay attention to Michigan. Wouldn't it just be so much better if we didn't have to fool with that and we could just stay on the coasts, run up big totals, and end up winning? All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, of course, the history of the electoral college is that the founding fathers, recognizing that this country was formed as a basis of individual states that came together, they didn't want to give too much power to any one state, which is why you know you have, for example, congressmen and congresswomen, members of the House. Well, that's based on the population of a state. So California has more congressmen or congresswomen than Wisconsin does, for instance. But all the states have two senators. It doesn't matter how big you are. South Dakota is only big enough to have one congressman, but they've still got two senators. And the idea being, okay, this is the United States of America. We're going to recognize the importance of states. If you abolish the Electoral College, I guarantee you, you're never going to see another presidential candidate in Wisconsin or Indiana or Minnesota or Iowa or South Dakota or North Dakota or any of those states in flyover country. All right. Is is it time to do away with the Electoral College and just go to a straight popular vote? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. 243. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1247. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hillary Clinton is back. She is saying once and for all, we need to abolish the Electoral College because, well, Al Gore lost. She won the popular vote, but she lost. She should be president, except for that that sticky Electoral College thing and the fact that she lost Michigan and, and she lost Wisconsin. And I don't know. If you have this electoral college, you got to campaign in those those flyover states, and you have to come hang out in those states where some of the deplorables live. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Mark in Menominee Falls. Mark, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Should we get rid of the electoral college? No. Okay, tell me why. We need the electoral college so the candidates will get into those deplorable states and the states where you know. You have the flyover states oh, yeah. there. Be a part of the, you know, be, you know, show some faith to the people. 
Well, right. No, you right. You would if if I mean, thanks for calling. You you do away with the electoral college, and what ends up happening is you, you you'll never see a presidential candidate in in Wisconsin. You'll never see a presidential candidate in Indiana. You you you're certainly not. Then the further west you get, I mean, Wyoming, forget it. North Dakota, South Dakota, forget it. You know, all all those sort of flyover states that that they they'd all be skipped. And the campaigns would essentially be said, okay, let's go to, let's go to the big population centers. Let's pick the five or ten most populous areas, most of whom are going to probably be like New York City or in California. And that's going to be it. And we're going to try to run up the totals. And it won't matter if, who cares about what happens in Wisconsin? We don't need any of their votes because if we amass enough votes in California or in New York, we're going to be all set. 414-799-1620. Debbie in Waukesha. Debbie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Um, well, I have a question more of a, than a comment about the Electoral College. I've been frustrated by that in the past. But um, my question is, if we got rid of the Electoral College, um, I don't see it as an all or nothing. I'm wondering if perhaps they could consider something like weighing the vote that we'd have in terms of either diminishing the value of a larger state state like California or increasing the value of our votes in a smaller state like Wisconsin so that maybe evening the power of the votes that we do have so that we're not overlooked. What do you think of something like that? Well, but isn't that sort of what the Electoral College does? I mean, why? why, why well, you it know. does, but that's relying on a few individuals that perhaps could be swayed in their votes and... It, oh, you mean the like you it. mean the elect your your concern is the electors maybe deciding that they're not <clears throat> they're not going to yeah. vote for who won their state. Okay. I'm, yeah. All right. No, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I you know that that's oh, there's a term for that. I'm sorry and I I'm forgetting the term. There there there's a term for that. An elector who is <clears throat> pledged to cast a vote for the winner of the state, and then votes for the other person. It, it, it has happened on, on just very, very rare occasions. I, I'm drawing a blank on what the term is. But um, I, I guess, see, I, I think the, the purpose behind the Electoral College is is the whole idea that that you do, we are, we are one nation, but we are also 50 individual states. I mean, candidly, if you're going to do away with the Electoral College, then, then, then why do we have two senators from every state? I mean, why... Why don't we just simply say, okay, it's just going to be, you know, we're going to divide up Congress. We're going to divide up the Senate based on population. And if you happen to live in one of the flyover states, well, okay, too bad. You're not going to have that same power. Why should we have senators from little states like Montana and Wyoming getting together and North and South Dakota getting together and and frustrating the will of senators from big states like California. Why should two guys or gals from South Dakota, why should they have as much power as two senators from California? Well, the, the reason is it's because of, I think, our whole system of checks and balances. Let's talk to uh, Rich in Hales Corners. Hi, Rich. Yeah, how you doing, Jeff? Good. You know, what do you I think? Have, I, friends of mine, and, and sometimes I feel this, although I do vote, feel that uh, their votes don't count because of the electors do not vote in what they, you know, for the person they vote for. So, and I guess it has happened a couple of times where uh, somebody won the state and they voted the opposite way, and, you know, people get upset over that. Well, is, is your is your concern, Tell explain to me again why you think your vote doesn't count. Um, well, because of the electric, electoral 
the college. Okay. So, you know, who are, let's say when we got 10 or 11, let's say I vote Republican and they vote right. Democrat, or, I, or either way. Well, okay? I, and I, sometimes it, there has been times where the electoral did not go with the popular vote. Well, I guess I, I'm thinking I'd have to... Okay, I'd have to go back and do my research, and I'm not saying it's never happened, but it it doesn't happen. It it, it it's never affected an election in any sort of a meaningful way by by having that that rogue elector. I mean, look here, here here's the bottom line of all this. I think actually, I think our founding fathers deserve a lot of credit for anticipating this idea that you would have big states. And that you would have little states, but all the states, again, as the 50 states coming together as, as part of the union, all of them, in some respects, are are supposed to have equal power. That's why you have the idea of, of checks and balances. And candidly, and, and look, I, I've seen this go both ways. Now, I, I understand that the last two times you had the popular vote won by somebody who's different than won the electoral college vote was with the you know Clinton in 2016 and Al Gore in in 2000. But but the bottom line of this is I I think by having the electoral college you make candidates have to campaign across the country. You you make candidates have to show up and 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 come out to Wisconsin and attend events. And I again. You know, you want to talk about like a lack of self-awareness. I think there's many reasons why Hillary Clinton lost the election. But, you know, the idea that, hey, I, I don't have to come to Wisconsin. I don't even have to campaign there because Wisconsin won't ever vote for Donald Trump. Well, OK, she she learned the hard way that maybe you do have to get out and you do have to run a campaign and you have to figure out what your path is going to be. I just I think you, there's a reason for this. And I, I understand that there's some sour grapes out there. But the bottom line is, I, I think it's a system that's pretty much worked, and it's worked for a long, long period of time. And I guess I just don't think it's worth changing, at least right now. Hey, I know, I know that Scott and Greg and Melissa have a lot of great stuff coming up on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Matter of fact, one of the things I know Scott's going to be talking about is if you've ever, if you've flown on an airplane, one of the things that you have probably noticed is, well, for many of us. It's kind of the problem with bucket seats that everybody's got a different size bucket. You know, one of the things that's happening is a lot of us are getting bigger. And airplanes, both as far as leg room and seat size, they're getting smaller. And, you know, it's it's not necessarily the most pleasant experience. There are some people in Congress who are considering actually making seat size and leg room size a law. And I know Warris is going to be talking about that. I'll probably talk about it a little bit tomorrow as well. All right. When we come back, we're going to find out what Greg and Melissa and Scott have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. It's 255. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.